Welcome, everybody. This is going to be episode two of the Toad and Beans podcast. I want to start out by saying thanks to everybody who provided some kind words and feedback on the first episode. On this episode, I'm going to keep the same structure, start out with a historical event. Second one, talk about some kind of media that I like, whether it's art, music, movies, whatever that is. And then the third one is just kind of the open-ended topic, whatever I feel like discussing for that particular episode. So thanks for listening and enjoy. In this first portion of the podcast, the history portion, I'm going to discuss why is there a panhandle in Oklahoma? So the land that is now known as the panhandle of Oklahoma was actually part of the Republic of Texas prior to 1850. And backtracking a little bit, in December of 1845, the Republic of Texas was annexed by the U.S. and then officially granted statehood in February of 1846. But when the state of Texas entered the Union, it wanted to enter as a slave state. But there was one issue with this, because per the Missouri Compromise, slavery could not exist north of the 36th and a half parallel. And interestingly enough, a small sliver of the Texas panhandle fell above this line. Thus, as part of the Compromise of 1850, Texas surrendered this small portion of land on its northern border, and this little strip of land officially became known as the Public Land Strip, but it was more commonly referred to as No Man's Land. So there were a series of name changes and legal changes in this small strip of land, but ultimately, the Organic Act of 1890 made it part of Oklahoma Territory, And when Oklahoma was granted statehood in 1907, the Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory were combined, giving Oklahoma the borders it has today. So the grim fact is the Oklahoma panhandle exists as a result of Texas wanting to be a slave state. Now, I didn't go to Oklahoma public schools, so I don't have the full breadth of knowledge and experience that, say, a native Oklahoman would, but I do know that this is not a well-known fact about American history and why states have certain borders that they do. And all of this seems to be wrapped up in this notion of America picking and choosing the history it decides to teach. So in the age of tearing down Confederate statues, discussions about critical race theory, and debates about what is the right way to teach American history, where does the Oklahoma panhandle fall in this discussion? The next topic of discussion I titled One Year, One Song, Two Artists, Two Grammys. So this will be a bit shorter, more of a fun fact about a song that I love and a fun fact that I had no idea about despite me being a bit of a music trivia nerd. So I actually stumbled upon this fun fact accidentally and organically in a small pizza shop in Colts Neck, New Jersey while I was eating some pizza with my father. So we were catching up, indulging on some good Jersey pizza, 
when the Carol King version of the song You've Got a Friend from her 1971 album Tapestry came on. And for the record, she is the writer of this song. So my dad and I started talking about the song, and he mentioned how Tapestry is one of his favorite albums. And I talked about how I was more familiar with the James Taylor version, which is on his 1971 album Mud Slide Slim and the Blue Horizon. And I was just a little more familiar with this version because my mom is a big James Taylor fan, or as she refers to him as the original JT. So I was well aware of the long-standing working relationship with King and Taylor, but I didn't know much about the history of this song. So I did a quick Google of the song and stumbled across a very interesting fun fact. So in the same year, Carol King won the Grammy for this song for Song of the Year, and James Taylor won the Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. And to the best of my knowledge and research, this is the only time this has ever happened. That being one song, one year, two artists, two Grammys. And nowadays, with the massive expansion of the music industry, and there being little to no barrier to entry for musical artists, I think the likelihood of this ever happening again is slim to none. The final portion of this episode I've titled The Pending Invasion of Ukraine, A Tale as Old as Time. And I'll preface this by saying that by no means in any capacity am I an expert on international relations or politics. This is just my view from 30,000 feet. But to me, this isn't an issue of America standing for democracy, but rather it is, like I said, a tale as old as time. It all comes down to oil and in this particular scenario, natural gas. So here's the current situation. Russia currently provides up to 40% of Europe's natural gas, with the biggest customer being Germany, which obviously is a big U.S. ally. So construction for a natural gas pipeline directly from Russia to Germany, called the Nord Stream 2, is currently underway, and the U.S. is fearful that this will make Europe slash Germany more reliant on Russia for natural gas. Ultimately, Russia will be able to control a significant portion of Europe's energy supply. So where does Ukraine enter the conversation? Well, to me, it looks like the U.S. is trying to use Russia's potential invasion of Ukraine as a point of leverage. Essentially, the U.S. has said if Russia invades Ukraine, it will shut down Russia's attempts to bring the Nord Stream 2 pipeline online. But... How will America do this? And that, to me, is the million-dollar question. And when asked how the U.S. would go about doing that, Biden simply responded, and I quote, I promise you we will be able to do it. I'm not sure what that means, but I guess we'll see. So I'll pose to you a scenario, because perhaps there is a silver lining to this situation, because in a lot of ways... It just seems like a lose-lose situation. Either Europe and Germany become more reliant on Russia for energy, or the Ukraine gets invaded. And first and foremost, I genuinely hope there's no invasion of Ukraine, for obviously a multitude of reasons. 
But maybe the silver lining, like I said, maybe this tension will further highlight our reliance on fossil fuels. And look, as someone who is in the oil and gas industry and knows it very well, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there will always be a need for petroleum products. I totally understand that. But maybe this situation will motivate scientists and companies to really look into an alternate, more self-sustaining and renewable form of energy so that an entire continent cannot be essentially held hostage for energy. And that brings me to an end of this episode, a little shorter this time around. Thanks for listening and let me know what you think.